We've got ourselves one hell of a conversation that Sims just dropped right before the music ended. So I'm kind of excited. Christopher Sims, Hello. how are you? I'm Top good. button swag. Yes. That's how what do I you do. feel? That's what I do. Wow, man. I don't know what color that shirt is. Looks like lavender, but it makes those blue eyes pop. It is lavender. I know. I, I need to. I want to start wearing this shirt on the show more. I mean, this is what I do. This is what I am. Josh Fendrick in his comfortable gray sweater that here says, I am. I'm here, but don't notice me too much. It's a Pretty new, much. Yeah. It's a new sweater, though. This one? No, uh, like this three, one for a four while. months. This is uh, J. Crew pre summer yeah. sale. Oh, yeah. okay. Yep. Got to go low. And I am here in the all head, blacks. Head to toe black, which is the official outfit of New York. If you live in New York long enough, eventually all of your clothes just become black. That's what I've learned. It's easy. I'm all, for, I'm all for all black. Wait, you, can we have the conversation that we just started? Because I want to hear the answer. I have a rundown in front of oh, me, okay, and ahead. I'd like to tease things. Okay, go ahead. Holy crap. End of the show. Really fun conversation with Stefan Diggs. And I would honestly tell you guys to go check out the YouTube. Go to Bleacher Report, Sims and Lefko. And if you're, if you're watching this, stay tuned to the end. If you're listening to this, go check it out because... Stefan Diggs was in Stitches. Yeah. I mean, he was laughing the whole time. He's a guy that we've interviewed a lot. He was blown away at the Super Bowl that you don't have Instagram. Right. Um, he was teaching me how to do the perfect Millie Rock. Wears the e- same t-shirt every time we see him. Old Spice. Brought to you by <laughs> Old Spice Foam Spray. But honestly, it was a really fun conversation. A little bit about football. Is Adam Thielen overrated, underrated right. because of, you know, yeah. he's Adam Thielen. We had a cultural divide discussion. Uh, Kirk Cousins. Why do people disrespect him? Uh, uh, but that was a really good conversation. We have Phil Sims coming up. We're going to dive into Sims's notebook, Chris Sims's notebook, a few more games to get through, some big news. Uh, but the conversation that you want to get into is I want to make Quentin Nelson the official offensive lineman of the Sims and Lefko podcast. And I feel like we've kind of been doing that for a while. Yeah. Um, I think he should be. I mean, we have a history together at Notre Dame. I mean, it's yes. just like it should be. He, he likes you. You're, you're we stopping did an, him. We did an Old Spice thing. You can't. Like you text people all the time, and I never accuse you of being a stalker. And then just because I text people, I'm not a stalker. I want to do the Lefko DM power rankings, where we rank all of the people that he DMs. That would be good. Yeah. The the good thing is, is when you're DMing with Quentin Nelson, I don't have to defend him, right? Because I already know he's amazing, right? Really quick, before we have this discussion, yeah. where is Quentin Nelson right now in terms of offensive lineman in the NFL? Pull like, the is teams. he already a top five offensive lineman? Without a doubt. Yes. And how rare is that for a guy that's played 10 games? Yeah, it's like happens once every five or six years, maybe less than that. Zach Martin's the last guy to do that. When he was in the draft, you called him a generational interior offensive lineman. Has he even maybe exceeded your expectations? Yes, he has. Yes. I mean, I just don't know. You know, I knew he would be good. I just didn't know if he'd come in and dominate right away. Sometimes Mm. you just got to kind of get a feel for the league, certain matchups. You're learning a new offense, doing all these things. Um, But, yes, I would say he is the best guard in football already. And yeah, he's, over Zach Martin. I would, if you gave me just from what over I've seen Andrews on Pete? film this year, yeah, I'd probably go Nelson, Pete, Martin as my three and guards. Where's Osemele? Because he's usually the yeah. Osemele's been banged up a little bit this year, so wow. it's, it's so Nelson's already number one. Yeah, I, w- I would say him and Pete are du- dueling it out. I mean, wow. yeah, I mean, from what I just saw, and I know we're going to get into it with Pete. Just every game, he's the same way. It's a road grader. Would you have taken Quentin Nelson? I'm going to go through the top six picks in the draft. Okay. Would you have taken him over Baker? No. Okay. Would you have taken him over Saquon? No. Would you have taken him over Sam Darnold? Mm. 
I, that's certainly 50-50. Would you have taken him over Denzel Ward? Mm, probably at that time. Yeah, I would. Now and then. Yes, because if I you think about it, they came back in the early second round and they took Austin Corbett, who right. hasn't played this season. Right. And I and I, and I would argue, and I think there we've were been corners proven right, that were, available that, were, the oh, that were just as good even yes. in the first round. Like the Browns could have traded down or traded up to get back in the first round and get the Jair Alexanders or the Mike Hughes or yes. some of those other guys. Uh, Denver Broncos, that's a tough one. Bradley Ooh. Chubb or Quentin Nelson? Yeah, Chubb is certainly come on big time mm, probably just because of the pass rushing position I'd yeah. probably still go with Chubb but we, it's, we it's said close. this about Quentin Nelson before the draft when you have a guy that you know is transcendent yeah. but it's at a position that's maybe not the most important right. it's tough yep. now speaking of pass rushers yes. Josh asked you right beforehand right Aaron Donald versus Quentin Nelson. Yeah. Who would win in that battle? Yeah. I mean, all right, so I and where I was leading off that conversation, I mean, Aaron Donald's awesome, right? We all know that. I'm not sitting here trying to even d- dispel that myth. He is the best defensive player in football, but he's not like perfect. Every player has kryptonite, okay? Nobody has been perfect. I mean, nobody. And I mean, again, you've seen their run defense lately. I mean, it's not perfect all the time because he's a speed guy they shoot gaps they try to create chaos all those things if him and Quentin Nelson lined up you know 50 times in front of each other throughout a full game um I think Quentin Nelson would win the majority of the run game run game design plays yes one-on-one he'd lose a few here and there because of just the speed and quickness like if Nelson has one weakness so far it would be just some of those quick guys at times like Malik Jackson I think got him once or twice last week there was a Um, game earlier this year where he kind of got beat off the line and someone got the sack before they went on this four game run of no sack I would say that's his only little weakness and he'll work on that yeah he will work on that you can work on that you know that's short area quickness that's just getting used to freaky guys that you really you don't see in college football until you get to the NFL. But then we get to the pass game. And, you know, again, Nelson, I'm not, if they drop back 40 times, I mean, Aaron Donald's not going to get 20 sacks. That's not even realistic in the world of football. But he would certainly have his moments of disruption. I mean, that's where he makes his money. But I do think Nelson would hold his own almost as good as like an Andrews Pete. Like, I would say Andrews Pete can be a slight edge better as a pass protecting guard mm. than maybe Quentin Nelson. Like, a- Andrews Pete gave, gave Aaron Donald all he can handle in the past game. Have you seen. So, when I watched some of the did Jaguars. I the question, really? You did, and okay. I, I want to do okay. some follow ups. Yeah. I was watching some of the Jaguars highlights, and for the first time, I'm seeing Marcel Darius on his back. Yeah. I'm seeing Malik Jackson on his back. Right. I saw Calais Campbell on his back. Right. And you really never see that. And then on them is Quentin Nelson, like, surfing on them, yeah. just being like, right. I have you on the ground. Right. Eat the dirt. Do you, have you seen Aaron Donald on his back at all this year? Uh, not on his back like the ones you're talking about. There's There's plays where he gets driven back and somebody drives him to the ground, but it's not like... Bam, I got pancaked. It's like, oh, let me turn sideways to stop it. He's racing okay. to a point. And, you and now I've like, an crumbled down. He's gotcha. crumbled down a little bit, but he's not like Nelson just jumping on him like, I, I pancaked you. Now I'm going to drive you six inches deeper into the ground. Donald will 100% beat Nelson on a few plays. It's yes. just guaranteed. Yes, That's right. how good he is. Right. Will Would Nelson put him on his back? Mm. a player too. I mean, probably not, but I do think he could drive him back consistently. You know, Aaron Donald's freakishly strong. So he has the perfect physique yeah. for that position. He does. I mean, yeah. he can just, you know, he's just not a nat- naturally gigantic man. Like Aaron Donald is probably a guy that 
when he stops playing football, he's thick and dense. He'll be, you know, six foot or six one, two seventy five mm. or two seventy. But he's such a workout warrior that he's two eighty five or two ninety right. with just extra fifteen or twenty pounds of muscle. That's definitely one of the 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 line matchups that I'd love to see right yeah. now. Yeah, that would just be so fun. It would be a good one. I'm realizing as I'm talking right now, you put out that clip. So four years ago, guys. We started the Sims and Lefko podcast this week, which is crazy. Yeah, I got a time hop on my Facebook that was like, "I got a podcast," and it was like me with a lot more hair. A time you... hop. So on Facebook, right? Oh, this is a this is a great. When one to you explain. post things, Facebook will be like, seven years ago today, you posted, and it's like, "Mom, I hate you. You never make my bed." And I'm like, "Oh," and so I, for some reason, went on Facebook. I don't go often, and I saw that, and Josh was like, "I can go and find our first podcast." I think the most jarring thing about you posting that clip is my voice. Your voice, like it's really weird. You want me to play it? Kinda. Someone even commented, "They're like, oh man, you used to have a radio voice. Good for you, getting rid of it." Because <laughs> I guess back then I was like, "Adam here with Chris Sims. Chris, how are you today?" Yeah, you're still stuck in that mold. Has officially begun. The Sims and Lefko podcast. Sims has his head going nuts right now. Who's going nuts right now? What do you think, Chris? What do you think of the song? I've never you, like, I say I'm mucusy. You do sound a little bit. Get this one from Josh. Now there's you're gonna say something Where right did now. You get this one, Josh? You're gonna say it's something right now that has stayed true for four years. First podcast, Chris. Let's do it. What are you thinking right now? You've never done a podcast. What did you think a podcast was first? Oh, this is a good part. Uh, well, I've learned over the years, or really just the last year. Uh, I had no idea what a podcast was. I just had a guy up in Boston who kind of taught me. But about this it last part year right here is stay court. true. What am I thinking right now, though? I am thinking right yeah. now still that I. Uh, want to be watching film. The first 45 seconds of the podcast, a complaint uh, about film watching. That's and right. not understanding technology. Right. I think we've stayed true. We have. Back when we were holding microphones in oh, an office my building. And then later in that clip, I go, and I'm drinking a beer right now. That music was like... I Dream of Genius. Uh, it's not even I Dream. That, that's porn music. I mean, I don't even know what that is. We can bring it back if you want. Uh, no. Get rid of the Rod Simba no. intro. No, we would we never do that. We never do that. Uh, the big news yesterday, before we get into your film, the biggest game of the season, Chiefs-Rams, is now being moved from Mexico City to L.A., after it has been discovered that that field looked like the surface of Mars. It looked as though they were like, we have an idea for a field, a deconstructed field, a little bit of dirt, a little bit of grass. You run, you may trip, you never know. The video that I posted yesterday that you saw, that was the worst looking field I've ever seen. And what you discovered was, the concert was a month ago. Yeah. The concert was not Saturday. That's what I thought all along. When this first came out, I was like, man, they had a concert this week? That's really stupid. Yes. And then my thoughts shifted to, wait, the concert was a month ago? Man, the NFL's really stupid. Mm. I mean, again, there's the NFL. What were they doing? Saving the plane flight down for nobody to go check the field? And they were going to check it the week of the game? I mean, there's the NFL cutting corners. You know, we don't have anybody there to look at the ball pressure. We don't have the right officials in the booth to do this. Like, hundreds of thousands of dollars that were worried about when they make billions a year now that i think about it in one of the previews the monday night football crew they showed a shot inside mexico City's. i think it's stadium Azteca, Azteca, like that. right and it was people sodding the field yes 
Like now that I think about that shot, they're like they're like mowing the grass. They were going to salvage this, and they wanted to play the game there. It would have been. Remember that Eagles Ravens pregame where like there was like holes in the field. And they're like, we're not going to play well, this game. That's what happened. Just I know this. This the reason the league canceled it was finally when they got that word that players might not play in the game. And that's when they finally said, okay, we have to cancel it now. They were going to try to make this happen. They were going to go, oh, fuck you guys. Get out there in the sod. It's been there for four days. It's great. Think about the money that's being lost with this. Yeah. Think about all of the promotions and all of the things that the NFL probably set up down there. This has probably been months and months of planning. Think about the money that ESPN is spending. Yeah, right. They probably outfitted that entire stadium with camera crews. They probably sent down tons of things. The staffing they've hired, that's all canceled with a few days notice. I wonder how that works. Does like the NFL pay ESPN back for that charge that they screw, they screwed it up? I'm, well, their relationship's been fantastic, so yeah. I'm sure that'll be easy. But I would also say that the people that I feel the worst for are the people like my dad who before the year go, hey, we go to one away game every year. Which one are we going to go to? The people that said, let's go to Mexico on Wednesday. We'll have the whole week, the whole weekend, and then Monday night we can go to the game. It's going to be super great. I feel bad for all those people that or this was their trip, and as the season's going along, they're going, it's going to be 9-1, nine 9-1. and, one, nine and one. Right. We bought Mexico these tickets, City. it's going to be great. Right. And now their whole trip is done. Do they get tri- do they get free tickets to the game? I mean, that they've already purchased. Do they get to go to L.A. now? I mean, that's not a bad consolation prize. Right. Well, I don't know. It is this week with all the smoke in the air. I but don't then know, but... I know like the L.A. Rams are giving away all these tickets to people that suffered all this stuff. Sure, and right. I go, one, that's great. Two, awesome left go PR to go we can't get enough Rams fans and we're really afraid that Chiefs fans are going to come in and take over our stadium yeah. so let's give out local tickets yeah. not saying your charity isn't warranted right. I'm just saying left go PR it's a win win that's another benefit of yeah, that without a doubt but this whole situation so you take this as what the heck was the NFL doing I take the NFL as what the heck are they doing on a weekly basis with the fields across the league Again, you guys know it to me. It's like mind-blowing. Monday Night Football. Exactly right. I mean, Saquon Barkley had to come out of the game and put different cleats on. He had to put three-quarter-inch spikes on to go play because people were slipping all over the field. But what was wrong with the field? They do the same thing. I don't know. We need to look up when's the last concert they have. When they have away games, they have concert that week. And then they Mm. put down these mats and everybody walks on it. And that makes the the sod softer and everything like that. You know, the NFL talks about wasting millions. And I go, you waste millions on paying guys every year who get hurt on bad playing surfaces. That is the issue within this sport. You know, and I just don't understand that part of it. You know, I don't understand, you know, why college and high school players play on a better quality field than grown men who are being paid millions of dollars. It makes no sense to me. I used to drive me crazy in Tampa when I would play a game in Tampa. We had the best field in, in football until the college season started. And then South Florida would play the night before. And then here we come out and we're playing on dirt that's spray painted green. So it looked good on TV. Exactly. And it's just, it's BS. And it just they bothers me. They spray painted the dirt? Spray painted it. Wow. Yeah. I, I will say, though, yep. I'm a little bit excited that the game was moved. Because it was really upsetting me that the game of the year was being played in another country at a super high elevation that would have tired out the players. Right. That... And also that I had to listen to the Monday Night Football crew. Yeah, I was, I was, it, all of the aspects of watching that game. I wanted, all, I really want the game in Dallas. 
I really want the game in Jacksonville. I really want the game on a neutral site because that's how good this matchup is. Yeah. But I'm happy that it's in L.A. Yeah. Because why were the Rams losing this home game? I, you're trying to convince people in Mexico to become NFL fans because you're behind all the other sports in terms of international flavor. I get it. You want to expand your brand, but... It's at the like it was gonna. I thought it was gonna be like a twenty-three to twenty game because of the altitude and that we're in another country. Yeah. And I'm glad now that it's at a normal place where the game will be fine. So now are the Rams at a disadvantage though? Why would the Rams be at a disadvantage? Because they traveled to Colorado to get used to the altitude. So now they're in Colorado and now they're gonna have to fly back home, which is weird too. I mean, it's it's all weird. Yeah, but at least they're at home. Yeah, I know. I'm just it's just still weird. Were there any concerts in studio Estadio Azteca? I, I have not I have not found the Levi Stadium schedule yet. I'm still gonna watch the game on ESPN two this Monday. I've decided. What do you mean? They show it on ESPN two? ESPN Deportes. Oh. It's the Spanish speaking broadcast of Monday Night Football. Should we make that a thing for the podcast? That we oh. only watch Monday Night Football on ESPN Deportes? Because the question that I asked myself, and I know that everyone's been very hard on this broadcasting group, and I know that you think that I harp on it, but every time I watch, it really pains me, and I really can't do it anymore. What am I missing if I don't watch the, the that broadcast? Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. think I'm missing anything. Yeah, I, I get you. Unless it's, it's I'm missing my the favorite hot either. takes that Eli's not a Hall of Famer, which I know you kind of agree with. Oh, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I don't, that's to me is you know I, just the two Super Bowl things, uh, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. Why isn't Jim Plunkett in then? I just want to say that you know Eli Manning, he's in danger if he goes to the Hall of Fame. He's in danger of becoming a below five hundred quarterback in his career. Does that speak to Hall of Fame? Absolutely not. So you know, I'm just uh, again, he he's not even he's not even the best quarterback in his own draft class. He's third. Uh, I don't care if Philip Rivers never wins a Super Bowl. His career is better than Eli Manning. It's not being a hater. I'm just trying to keep it real there. Eli Manning's career record is 113 and 110. Right. So really, I could see the Giants losing more games down the stretch than winning. So he could end this year with a career losing record. Right. And where people lose context of that and go, well... So you you kind of agree with Booger. I I do. I think it's very borderline. I mean, again, it's just the rings discussion. Because I know Michael Strahan and Justin Tuck and all those guys, they weren't good in the game. I mean, Eli really blew the doors off in that game. 17-14. I mean, to me, that's where it just it gets annoying, that conversation all the time. Rings, 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 rings. Well, you know why the Giants had to fight so hard in those, those two playoff runs? Because Eli was below average or average all year long, and they ended up 9-7, and seven, when in reality, the team was like a 12-4 and four team. Mm. I mean, that's where like context matters, and... That's like, I feel like my new phrase lately. I'm Context gonna, yeah, matters? Yes. It's a my, good catchphrase. Yeah, my, it does. My thing with Eli, back to my, can you tell the story of the NFL without Eli? Right. I don't know if you can. No, you can't because of the 17-0 Patriots and beating yeah. that. And so He's an NFL legend. You know, He's not a Hall of Famer. But I'm not going to sit here and stamp the Hall of Fame career on him. He's having his best quarterback rating year this year. I have two questions. Right. One... Do you think the Giants want Eli to be their starting quarterback next season? No, I don't think so. I don't know that either, just to state that. I know, I know. But I don't think so, no. My follow-up would be... What could they be watching to really think that, yes, it's going to turn it around? Dude, I don't know what anyone's watching, so I don't assume anything. (laughs) You're right. My other question, though, is if Eli ends the year with a career record... Of, a, of below 500, yeah. do you think it's going to make him want to come back next year? <sighs> no, I don't. So you don't think he'll be like, man, I, I would like to go 9-7 and it, seven It'll next bother year. him, but I don't think it's going to dictate him coming back to play. 
you know, I'd have to question Eli along this process too. I gotta go to I would I would go to Eli going, What are what are you watching? What are you're watching yourself on film every week? Do you really think you're starting quarterback material? Mm-hmm. And I know I know I sound insensitive here, but I'm just trying to evaluate the situation. Eli's great. Like I said, he's a legend. He's a borderline l- Hall of Famer. I like seeing the come the 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 last drive, even sure. though it was mainly because of two pass interferences. But, but I get I get it. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of great moments. He's clutch. He's unflappable. Those are things that he certainly has been. I, I give him credit for that. I'm just not gonna stamp Hall of Fame on it though, just just because it's two rings. If you didn't watch Monday Night Football and go, wow. Even though everybody knows he's trying to throw to Odell, and Odell can still get open by such a large gap that yeah. even Eli can make the throw, right. and he's the guy that makes the system work. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, you know, well, yeah. I mean, he missed. You know, that should have been a touchdown with on the, the one go ball. route that yeah. he th- under throws, and I yes. think it became pass interference. He underthrew two of them. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I get you. I know. It's, we're at a point though. Where I think we're kind of fed up talking about it, and we're not. We're not trying to harp. It's just. Uh, you know, it's the number one media market in the NFL with two of the best weapons that are in the NFL. How do we even get on this subject? Oh, Booger McFarland subject. Mexico Went City. Went back to ESPN. Always. <laughs> okay. Let's dive into the film notebook. Uh, Falcons, Browns. Yeah. And my big question before oh, yeah. this was right. the Browns offense and Freddie Kitchens. Right. Baker, Lead me through it because it's in my phone. So I got I, it. Yeah. Baker Mayfield has his stats the last two games. His quarterback rating has been amazing. I think it's like five touchdowns, one interception. Nick Chubb, he's been going off. They've had a good offensive line the entire year. Right. Just overarching question. Is it Freddie Kitchens? What is he doing that that makes you go, wow, Cleveland's offense the last two weeks really been functioning high? I think, you know, sometimes it goes back to basics that you and I talk about a lot on this podcast. He's playing through his strength, and maybe the strength and the overall strength of the whole Cleveland Browns football team is their O-line. I mean, they got, you know, J.C. Treader at center, Joel Bentonio at guard, Zeitler at the other guard. I mean, they have a very good O-line. And then, of course, now they have Nick Chubb, who's a special runner. And I think that's what has changed more than anything. They've kind of gotten back to, like, old-school Pittsburgh football. 12 and 13 12 sets. and 13 personnel. So two tight Jerome ends Bettis, three tight ends. Up your ass. Here I go. Yeah. Oh, you're going to play one-on-one outside? Our quarterback's got a strong arm. He can throw outs and comebacks all game and throw them on the money. And that, to me, is a special thing, too, that goes overlooked. Like, you know, I do love their tight ends for all those they're sets. They're very good. Exactly yeah. right. And Baker is the type of quarterback who, you know, in the game, the thing that jumped out to me, skinny posts. Okay, skinny posts are like slant routes, but they're post routes where the quarterback takes five steps and he doesn't take a hitch step. He hits that fifth step and just lets it loose. Not a lot of quarterbacks feel comfortable throwing that route. And he does that. Because of the flow? Because you don't know what's going to be happening yes, with the you're kinda, It's kind of more of a, I got to see the window. I got to match up my feet with it. And then I got to throw the howitzer in there mm. to get this ball in. And he has a howitzer. So he does that. And he can throw deep comebacks and deep outs, which a lot of quarterbacks are reluctant to throw because they're not easy throws. They have to be pinpoint. And if you do error or throw a bad throw, it usually becomes a pick in those kind of plays. Mm. So I think that's the big thing more than anything. They're playing through their strength of their team first, 
and that's giving them an advantage to go, okay, we're going to run the ball, and now, okay, where do big plays come from? We watch it all the time. The biggest plays of the week for the Rams, the Saints, and the New England Patriots is always off a play-action pass, Yes, and they do that. So that is one of the things they got going for them. I was going to say, it's not often when you say the Browns are like the Pats and Saints, but the philosophy has been when we – when we bring everybody in right. and it's a power formation, we're throwing it. Yeah. When we spread you out, we're running exactly. it. Exactly. They do a little bit of that, Cleveland. They really do. And it sounds like you believe that a lot of Kitchens is Bruce Arians. Definitely. And this feels like a Bruce Arians offense to you. It's like an old school Bruce Arians. Which Before is where he, Kitchens came exactly from. Exactly right. That's what it was. It's Bruce Arians, and he, he's Pittsburgh guy too, Bruce Arians. That's the kind of thing he... He, he has always done, uh, whether it was the Colts, even they had that element of their offense too with, with Peyton Manning getting in 12 personnel, play action passes. Oh, you're going to try to stop Edger and run, Edger and James runs? Okay, well, Peyton Manning's got a strong arm. He'll throw the 20-yard comeback to Marvin Harrison, and he'll be open, and he'll throw it on the screws every time. So, yeah, that's kind of their philosophy there. And Freddie Kitchens, yes, it's not about spreading it out, dink and dunk. It's more about smash mouth. We got a few dink and dunk plays here. Great screen play down in the red zone to Chubb, right? That went for the touchdown. But more or not, they're looking for explosive plays or chunk plays in the past game. So you're telling me that Todd Haley gets fired and then Freddie Kitchens just walks in the next week and says, this is the offense we're doing now, guys. It's, it's, I've it's, been sitting on this the whole season. Right. But it's, the offense is there, but what he goes is this part of our offense that we've been neglecting, we're going to make it more of our center point. But why didn't he just tell that to Todd Haley? Well, because that's hard to do. It's This is the Army. You remember? It's Army. You don't, the, you don't general said, the general said, we're going four wides hey. and shotgun. And I also think offensive coordinators, when they get quarterbacks like a Baker Mayfield or anything like that, they fall into the trap of, I want to put up good stats. I'm a quarterback whisperer because you know what the quarterback whisperer with good stats is going to do? Get me another head coaching yep. job. Mm. And I think too much sometimes OCs get in love with that and they forget like, man, if I just win the game and we look good on offense, I'll be the quarterback whisperer too. This is the stuff I just hate hearing. Well, one of my philosophies has always yeah. been you learn more from a bad boss than you do from a good boss. Mm. When you're playing, when you're a quarterback coach under Josh McDaniels, you're not even going to learn that much stuff because you go, man, when Josh calls that play, it always works. And you don't learn the meaning behind it. But when you're Freddie Kitchens and you're behind Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley and you're sitting there and you're going, why is he neglecting this? It enlightens you. Think about your own workplace. If you have a bad boss, when you, you look at him and go, well, when I'm a boss, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. But when you have a good boss, you take all the things they do for granted. Yeah, right. And I think when you get there, you go, I can fix this because I know exactly what they've been doing wrong. Right. I, I was lucky enough early on in my career. I had a lot of bad bosses. Sure. I'd rather have bad bosses early than bad bosses late. That's for sure. Because then when you have a good boss, you go, damn, I appreciate yeah, you. Yeah. You know? No doubt. Uh, Falcons offense screwed up a lot. Yes. What was your biggest issue with them? Well, I, I mean, just the uh, one of those. Does things, it go to the Devondre Campbell quote well, where he's no like, doubt. "We just we thought they were the Browns." We no could doubt, and it out. I sent you these notes before that. But yeah, they're just they're 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 from the get go. One team was obviously the more hungry physical team on film. I mean, within the first drive, you just said, "Damn, the Browns came to play," and the Falcons thought they could just show up and make it happen because it's the Browns. And yes, I mean, hey, whether it was. Missed throws in a few situations by Matt Ryan. Um, you know, 
stupid play calling on third and one from the one-inch line and not running a quarterback sneak, which you did the play before, and they jumped off sides, and you got half the distance, and you were going to have a touchdown, but then you decided not to do it. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. You know, Alex Mack. Throw, snapping the ball over Matt Ryan's head and another time when they're in field goal position. Mohamed Sanu being four yards away from a first down and reaching for it like he might get it. And then yeah. he fumbled. A oh, shocker. So how do you see hunger on film? You can just tell with like who's hitting for one, who's getting up after the hitting and going, we, we just hit we you just hit and we coming back again. You know, you could see the emotion through the film. Just guys talking to each Even other. that high up? Definitely. Yes, because as they make the tackle go closer, it zooms in a little too. But you could see the guys, you know, their heads jar in and, you know, like they're talking to the guy on the ground. One team was doing that and the other team was not. Mm. Yeah. I like that question. How do you see hunger? All right. Cardinals Chiefs. Yeah. A game that I got right, you got wrong. Okay. So <laughs> this has been something, though, about the Cardinals that I feel like the Cardinals and the Bills are in a very similar situation very good. from perspective. Very good. Early on, the Bills got shellacked by the Ravens and we wrote them off immediately. Right. The Cardinals got smacked, I think, 34 to nothing by the Rams. Right. We wrote them off immediately. Exactly. Byron Leftwich has come in. David Johnson's getting the ball more in the passing game. The offense is clicking. But I would argue throughout all of the season, mm-hmm. the Bills and Cardinals defenses, their game plans have been pretty spot on. Yes, they have. Like I, I'm telling you, I really think if you go back and look at that first game of the year when yep. Washington beat Arizona like 24-8, to yeah. if you look at that second half of the game, right. Arizona was all over Washington. Yes. They couldn't do anything. Right. So this game I'm watching because I'm going, I'm very curious. Will the Chiefs uh, cover the 16 and a half? The Cardinals were getting pressure on Patrick Mahomes really the entire game. Sacked five times. It was the first time where I went, Mahomes getting sacked in the red zone. This is wild. I look at your notes. Chandler Jones, Rodney Gunter blowing it up. But you wrote, man, the coaches were all over the Chiefs' stuff. Right. The Chiefs are just too fast for this team. But are you impressed with Steve Wilkes' defense right w- now? Without a doubt. And I'm glad you kind of lumped it with McDermott because that's what it is. Right. And they're they? both Carolina exactly Panthers Exactly right. That's what they Sound are. Sound defense. Sound defense. And it's not always man-to-man. Bend, it's a little sprinkle. Break. Right. Yeah. Bend, don't break. Everybody's eyes on the quarterback, on the ball. We rally. We make the tackle. When they get in certain formations – these are two coaches that are very good at teaching their back seven route reading. Hey, they're in trips. When the number one receiver does this, the number two receiver does that. So now they're in the zone. Okay, they're in a zone, but they're also like, oh gosh, two went vertical. That means one's coming underneath, and then they're all over it, and that zone collapses in a hurry, and you go, damn, how'd they get all of it? That's, that's coaching right there, mm. and that's really what it looked like more than anything. You know, Early on, they caught him by surprise because of what you said. I mean, you can prepare for Kansas City all you want. And then you see Tyree Kill. But then the first time you see Mahomes and Tyree Kill throw the ball, you go, holy shit, I wasn't ready for that. They told me all week to get back, and I I didn't get back fast enough. Yeah, because they let up that touchdown, and I'm sure everybody was like, oh, here goes the Chiefs. But as soon as that touchdown was over... right. It was a game. It was a game. I mean, the Cardinals had a chance to win this game yes. up until Justin Houston intercepted the screen pass. Right. The Cardinals were driving down to take the lead. Right. Did that scare you about the Chiefs? Well, no. I mean, no. Because, again, 
don't underestimate good coaches. And mm. and you're going to say Steve Wilkes is a good coach? I, on the defensive side of the ball, gotcha. for certainly. Certainly. I mean, what he did to the Shanahan 49ers offense a few weeks ago. Yeah. What he's done to it both times, actually. They beat him twice. Yes, but especially the last one in Arizona. 15 points. Yeah, I mean, yes, he is a really good, sound defensive coach. And I'd also like to remind everybody, too, this is not a finished product. You know, this is a team that's going through oh. a 3-4 scheme and now making a transition to a totally different 4-3 scheme. Right. And you got to let the players match up with that first, too. But he's getting it there, and I do like the look. And Chandler Jones is popping every week. What? Chandler Jones is probably the most underrated defensive player in the sport right now. Mm. I mean, he is without question in the conversation top 10 defensive players in NFL. Every time you turn on the film, every he's time. destroying He's somebody. a force. I mean, he is an absolute force. Yes. I mean, he he's unbelievable. And um yeah, he 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 causes a lot of havoc. They got Hassan Riddick in at middle linebacker. He's going to be good there, I believe. Yeah. You know, Buda Baker at safety. Sure. Of course, Patty P still out there. Patty P got a taste of Tyree Kill a little bit. You know, first and play Patrick of the game. Peterson's got, he was a top five oh, speed guy for his whole he, career. He, he's still a baller. I mean, he really is. He took away a slant route on Tyree Kill to start the game. And really, in the West Coast offense, when a DB jumps inside you to take away the slant route, the receiver, once he takes the one step to the slant and realizes, I can't get inside, he has the freedom to stick his hand up and go, I'm running a go route. Patrick guessed right. Patrick Peterson. Jump the slant. Jump the slant. There's nothing. He's nothing. And Mahomes is looking at him like, oh, shit. What do I do? Because there was two slants on this side, and now I don't have anything. And did that hand go up by Hill? Hand went up. Patty patted the ball just to make sure the safety wasn't over there, and he threw a laser. And it was like a 40-yard game. First play of the game. I mean, but Patty P was, I know, probably like, damn, that was perfect. And damn, I can't stay with that fucker like that once he turns up the field and puts his hand. My concern with the Chiefs was kind of validated here in your notes, where you said... Andy Reid is amazing right now at the window dressing. Yes. But the scheme maybe isn't that complex. Right. It's not the Sean McVay where you're getting tons of different variations. Right. It's somewhat of a simple West Coast con- yeah, uh, concept. Exactly. But all of the movement beforehand distracts people. Right. I hope he can continue to throw a few wrinkles into the game plan as the season goes on. Because this was my fear. I know it is. I is know. that by week 11, right. Andy Reid's kind of shown you everything. Yep. And will the creation still be coming? Yeah, I, I, I would hope so. Again, it's not going to be like Alex Smith the last two years in the Chiefs. They're not going to fall off. But to your point... Yes, it's not always like Sean Payton, McDaniels, McVay, where I'm just like, whoa, I don't even know what that play is, or that was really cool, or whatever it is. It is about the window dressing, and then part of his greatness is evaluating talent, and he has talent on the team to put the pressure on you that way, Mm. and that's really what it's about more than anything. It's, yeah, the scheme is solid, it's good, it's sound, it has everything you want, but it's not mind-blowing. But he does a great job of making the same play look different with certain formations and the window dressing as you're talking Can you clarify what window dressing means? Window dressing, like, hey, he might run, it might be curl flat, right? There's 12-yard curl and somebody in the flat. Okay, they did that out of a two-receiver set. But then the next time, he might run curl flat and go... I'm going to fake the speed sweep to Tyree Kill, and then he's going to run into the flat, and we're still going to have the curl. And the defense is like, oh, gosh, here goes the speed sweep. And all of a sudden, the curl's still open. So that's what I mean by window dressing. Making the same play look different, but it's really not different. He just changed some pieces and moved a few people around with motions or whatever else to get the defense thinking to open up the same play. So how do you coach against that? 
on defense. I, that would be what we saw in this game, okay. like with McDermott or a Steve Wilkes. You've got to understand when they get in these formations, they like this to run these doing. route combinations, and this is what they do. Don't fall for, you know, stay true to your rule. Just because Tyreek Hill flew across doesn't mean middle linebacker, you just start running over there. Mm. You know, we got somebody there that's going to do their job to stop that. You stay in your spot and still stay to what I taught you all week when it's a two receiver set over here, they do this, or it's a three receiver set, they do this. Mm. And there's not a lot of coaches that are really good at that. So in the playoffs, that's when you go with what the window dressing is because the team has seen your film all year where you run the same thing every time. Yeah, well, hopefully in the playoffs, you you bring out a few things that to, no one has seen to screw okay. over some of those thoughts, yep. right, where tendency breakers get broken. And there's one thing that you'd like to see from the Chiefs offense. Yeah. The Chiefs have a top three offense in the NFL. You believe they're missing one, one key element. aspect. Yeah. And what is it? The power run game. Just like we just talked about with the Cleveland Browns or the New Orleans Saints or whoever it is, they need to find ways to be a little more patient with the power run game. They have a good old line and one of the best running backs in football. And again, for my money, it's going to be another element that you, of course, have to defend, but it's going to be another way to scare defenses with play action pass and bring that part of the game to you know, to their offense. I felt like they did try to run it a lot with Kareem Hunt in the right, second half. Right. But was it not in a power running style? No, that you it's always spread. It's a lot of inside, outside zone. It's, you know, I and would when like you to say see power, them. are you talking about the personnel on the field, more big people? Yeah. Or do you mean the scheme in which they're running? I don't mind this. I mean, this a little bit of both. Okay. When I'm talking about power, I'm talking about I want to see some pulling guards or everybody doing a double team and then one guy slipping mm. up, just mauling plays forward instead of the zone concept where we're just going to – we're all going to go to the side and kind of block a guy in our area and the running back will find the lane to cut in. No, I want true downhill smash-mouth football. That's okay to do out of the shotgun, but it's going to force defense's hand more if they get in two and three tight end sets or 21 sets with the fullback in there and a tight end and go downhill. And then if you start to win games or do have success that way, that's when you're going to get one-on-one with Tyree Kill or Sammy Watkins. And all of a sudden, Andy can go, damn, defenses are playing like this when we get in these power sets. Let me give this little route combination off that same power set yeah. and fake the run. And all of a sudden, now you got a 50-yard gain down the field. Let's talk with a team that many people believe is a power-running team, but another team that you think is not running with power enough, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. You watch this game, yep. and they're still an 11 with three wide receivers. And let's admit, yep. yeah. with Dak Prescott, we don't need three wide receivers on the field. No. The fact that they're not just running out of power formations and throwing out of power formations seems like you don't understand why. I, I don't understand why. First of all, the offense is... And this is from the film against the Eagles on Sunday night. Yes. The offense is... It's ordinary. I don't know what other way to say it. I mean, well, they're that's not... why they were thinking about firing... Right. Uh... Scott Linehan. Scott Linehan. They're not tricking people. And then also, when they get an 11 personnel, they rarely motion or shift or do anything. They just line up in it and go, here we are. This is what we are. Oh, great. And, you know, Dak make a throw and hopefully we'll protect. And so there's nothing to it anyways. To me, I think they're going to be more of an advantage when, again, two tight end sets, three tight end sets, downhill, guards pulling, you know, uh, read option, quarterback design run plays, like almost the aspects of like they should watch Carolina Panthers on offense. That's what they should do and go, 
That's what we should do. Amari Cooper over here. We got a t- two tight ends and a fullback to the left side of the formation. We might pull a guard with Zach Martin and just absolutely blow your ass off the line of scrimmage, and Zeke Elliott's going to get 15 yards. But once you start putting too many people down at the line of scrimmage, we are going to just let Amari Cooper chew you up on the backside one-on-one. To me, those are their greatest strengths. I'm, I'm sick of seeing them... Jack in the shotgun, nobody open, or finally somebody is open, and Dak can't hit him. So it, that's not what you are. Get away from it. Play through your strength. You got $90 million freaking dollars in your O-line and a top five running back. Start using him. Collinsworth had an observation in the red zone. He goes, I don't know what these routes are. He goes, they just run and stop. Yes. They're not They're not running anywhere. No. You had something in your notes that I found really interesting because I don't understand how it works. Yeah. You said that first thing is Columbo, the new offensive line coach right. for the Cowboys, yeah. taking over was definitely a good thing. Right. You wrote, run game has better design and imagination. Yeah. How does an offensive line coach impact the design and imagination? Yeah. I don't know what an offensive line coach sure. does. Sure. I kind of thought the offensive line coach don't was like, stretch. hit him harder. Run faster. No. Because I just assume that the offensive coordinator is like, and you're going to go here and you're going to go here. Right. So what is the offensive line coach's responsibility? The offens- I'm going to learn something yeah, today. Yeah, the offensive line coach, his responsibility, just like we talk about a McVay or a Shanahan or McDaniels going, man, they crack the code. They know the rules of the defense and they are screwing it over. Same thing a Colombo can do in the run game. He goes, I know their run fits and this is not real sound on their part over here. There's no way that... Is it Rasul Douglas that's number 32? There's no way we can let him be the C-gap defender and let that fly. There's just no way. It is our duty to pound Rasul Douglas. Exactly right. It's little things like that. Okay, so so there's that, right, where they ran a little design cutback run. But how is Colombo interacting with the offensive coordinator? Like, I'm I'm more curious about the role of an offensive line coach with the coaching staff. Right. Well, this is like... um, my New England experience would be the best way to do this, really, with Skarnekia. Well, I mean, maybe the greatest offensive maybe line the greatest, coach ever. right? So, and then there, Josh. Josh has can check his ego at the door and go, "You fucking are awesome at the run I'm game." I'm going to listen to Dante. Yeah, I'm going to listen to you. So I'll do the pass game, and then he's going to go to Dante Monday afternoon and go. What do you think? Like, what's your five or six runs you really like this week? And that is—is is that based on the defense you're playing? Yeah. Or the now personnel Dante's you have? done the studying the film. He also knows his personnel and goes, "I think we can run these five or six plays, no matter what front they play that we've seen on film to here, and we really can expose them or have our way that way." And that's based off of a defensive weakness. Defensive weakness, right? Whether or it's your matchup strength, yeah. or their schematical issues they have in certain formations where you go, again, like you, we were just saying, you can't do this. It's our job to expose that. And then the other offensive, the other aspect of the offensive line coach. Like my question is is are there running plays for every team in the NFL that no matter what defense they're playing they go this is just what we run and you have to try and stop it? Yeah, yes, definitely. Because I feel like passing is more reliant on scheme right. and and kind of coverages right. and stuff where running is we're setting the tone and this is what we do. Everybody has a few run plays and a few pass plays where they go we're comfortable running these plays no matter who we play against no matter what defense they are, we're good at these, Mm. and we're going to do them at some point. 
and we've practiced them enough against all the different alignments and everything that we're schooled up and we're very sound and comfortable in doing this. And even if the defense can look and go, we know exactly what you're doing, your ability to execute in the 2.5 seconds is just better than Exactly that. right. We've practiced it against the bare front. We know against the 3-4 front. We know against the... Three, you know, the three, you know, five, nine, whatever it is, all the different sets. Yes. Like my 2005 playoff year, when we went to the playoffs, Tennessee. I just said the playoffs. No, in Tampa okay, with Cadillac yeah. Williams and company. Washington, yeah. That we ran 96 and 97 Power King. If we ran 100 runs, we ran 96 and 97 Power King 75 out of the 100 runs. And it didn't even matter. Did not matter. Just. Because we were we were magic at it, and if it got into a look that was so fucked up, and I was like, okay, this is like we can't do it. They have nine guys where we're trying they're, to run. They know exactly what you're doing. Right, they're loading up. Right. Then I had checks where I'd go, okay, I got to get out of this. It's not fair to ask our guys. And that's the beauty, I think, of playing off the run is when you've established something and you impact the defense to overload, then you can slip out and maybe find Amari Cooper. You have to force the hand of the defense somehow, some way. That's what a good offense does. They find you to go, we're going to force you to do this so then I can do A, B, and C off of it. And that that is all all great offense. So the big thing with Colombo, you're saying with the Cowboys is he's going to come in, identify weaknesses in the defense, yep. identify strengths in the offense, right. and it's a recommendation to the OC. Yeah, or hopefully just a, literally a conversation to go like, I think these five run plays without question have to be in the game plan this week. We have an advantage with Zach Martin on Nada, and they keep using their corner in this formation to stop the C gap run. And I'd like to see if he could tackle Ezekiel Elliott when he. Gets into that C gap one on one, and then oh bam, Ezekiel runs for twenty five yards, and you're like, "What? The Rasul Douglas didn't make the tackle? How much of a team's game uh, playbook is not in a game plan for a given week? Like oh, you're saying, these right. five plays have to be in the game plan. Right. Are there forty other plays yeah. where you're just like, we're not doing that this yeah, week? Yeah, definitely. Yes, there is exactly right. I mean, yeah, you you through your start of training camp and OTAs, you know, yeah, let's say you have forty run plays total in your offense. Yeah, you're is getting, that the number? Is it 40 run plays? Somewhere in between okay. 40, 60, whatever. Depends on the team a little bit. But then you have all of those. But yeah, on a weekly basis, you'd go, okay, we got like these eight or ten are what we go with. Or these five or six. And maybe we have one little wrinkle off of one or two of them to yep. go, like to keep them honest, whatever it may be. And is that why Ben McAdoo's play sheet was such a joke? <laughs> yeah. Because he had like 700 plays. And you're like... I don't You're really only has, calling four. I think he just had a big sheet with like twenty plays, and he just made it look like seven. <laughs> and a bunch of us is like. Um, just don't forget to look, be- look like you're thinking of something here as I look at this big sheet. It is really funny when you think about the play sheets, and then you think about Bill Belichick, who has nothing yeah. except like a three by five card, mm-hmm. and he's not reading; he's, he's writing. writing. Yeah. he's writing down. Don't forget to do this, and also he don't doesn't forget have... to cut off their their communication right. in the second quarter, so right. they can't talk to each other. Right. He doesn't have a big laminated piece of paper either. I was, I got that. He doesn't have the big laminated paper. He no. just has like a little crumpled up piece of printer paper. No, he he does not. He's going to sit there and watch the game. 
He's going to be able to observe the game and go, we need to do this better. And he's going to get in the ear of the D and O coordinator every now and then and go, I think it's time to call blah, 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 play or do this here. I mean, I do know that watching that Cowboys-Eagles game and seeing Colombo on the sideline dapping up the offensive lineman as a former offensive lineman being huge. And it makes me go back to a guy like Mike Tice, like a former O lineman that could like be a head coach and lead a bunch of men. Sure, Mike Munchak. Right. The offensive lineman that becomes the coach. Yeah. What does that bring to a team? It, it just it, – it's uh, for O-linemen who are very much analytical thinkers, I think it puts them at ease to go, this guy's been through it. He mm. knows what we're going through, and he knows this isn't easy. He's going to be a fair judger of us. And he also understands what's realistic – you know, at right. the position to run a play or ask a player to do. And that's where it, it comes out. Like, I had a low line coach. I'm not going to name his names. But he'd be like, I'm not a big technique guy. I'm just a get-her-done guy. And I wanted to be like, well, that ain't going to get it done. That's what I wanted to stand up and say every fucking time you said it. Like, that ain't going to get it done this week against the Carolina Panthers. Yes. Oh, no technique against Julius and Chris Jenkins. I'm sure they'll just – we'll just go out there and make it happen, guys. Oh, damn, I just got blindsided again. Good thing you just were getting her done, coach. One thing I also noticed from this game, yeah, you still believe that Zeke has lost a step. I do. I'm not backing down from that. I don't care. I'll show Zeke when he comes in here to Bleacher Horror and go, you're not as fast as your one when I saw you running 80-yard screens against the Pittsburgh Steelers mm. to the house. He is no longer capable of breaking 60- and 70-yard runs. He when is a 30- to 40-yard man. When max. you see Malcolm Jenkins catching Zeke, it's a red flag for you. That's a red flag. It makes me think, He's either been beat up a whole lot already or he's not training the proper way in which he was coming out of the draft. Those are the two things my mind always goes to. Or you're burning the candle at both ends too much. Those are- I was going to say to bring a quote, I think it was from Shakespeare, that fast guys get slower and big guys don't get smaller. <laughs> yeah, somebody told me that. Yeah, somebody did tell you but, that. But, you know... I. You know, we see running backs lose speed over the years. Yes, and I. But you're saying it's happening at somewhat of an alarming rate. I think just a little bit more than I would expect in year three, and actually, you know, year two, he didn't take a beating. Right, he missed six games. Right, right? you know, all those. Yes, just a little bit. He's still really awesome, but you know, yeah, I just hope he's not losing. Like we've talked about before, in college they make you run. And they make you train. In the NFL, they treat you like a man. And if you don't do the little things to be a professional on a weekly basis, yeah, I don't think his legs look the same as year one. They're not quite as thick to me. His hammies aren't popping like they used to. And you know me. I consider myself a professional man looker. You are. I know. My my other question was for the defense, the Eagles lost Ronald Darby. And through all your notes, you talked about how undisciplined the Eagles' defense was. So he plays every game where I'm just like, what the hell? So my question is, now that they've lost Darby, and I think uh, Sidney Jones might be back this week, but that secondary is a mess. Can this Eagles defense make it work with seven games left and really having to win five of them? I, I, I have serious questions after watching the film. I do. You know, you guys have a tough schedule. You know, okay, out of the, the the thing that I guess would encourage me is that you really only play two great passing offenses down the stretch. Rams the Giants, and Saints. Right. You know, I'm not going to put the Texans, the Redskins, the Cowboys, or the Giants in that conversation. Yeah, the good thing is their division can't really throw that So well. maybe they get away with it that way. 
What I don't understand, I mean, hey, yeah, there's always a few brain farts from your defense on a weekly basis in the secondary. That's funny. They actually came out this week and said the Eagles were like, we just have brain farts. They do. Like Ronald Darby at the end of the half. I know I wrote this in my notes. They're trying to high-low him. There's 20 seconds left in the end of the half. There's Who one cares guy, about the low? Right. There's one guy running a 20-yard out route that's going to catch the ball at the one-yard line, and then there's one guy two yards down the field. Fucking let the two yards down the field catch the ball. Don't let them throw the ball to the one so then they can get a touchdown before the half. Those little things lose you games. We forget about them because context matters. And then we, at the end of the game, decide, why did Carson Wentz not throw in the end zone? Exactly right. That wasn't the issue. That wasn't the issue. Or it's 20-20, to and now Ronald Darby's out of the game. Now we're going to play man-to-man every play? What? What? I like, don't think Jim Schwartz is going to survive. I would say no at this point. That would be my money. I mean, he might survive the year, but he's not going to survive next year. Ugh, fucking Eagles. Okay. Chargers offense, Raiders defense. I requested that you watch this because I watched the game and went, if you take away the Melvin Gordon 70-yard screen, Chargers are up 13-6. to Yeah. Then you factor in the fact that the Raiders in the first drive of the game got stopped on fourth and goal on the one. So that was six points With off the board. With the speed sweep that he's never called. Josh, so on this fourth down to start yep. the game, the Raiders are moving the ball at will against the Chargers. And I didn't realize that on fourth down, John Gruden called a speed sweep. Sims tells me yesterday it's the first time that John Gruden has called a speed sweep in his entire career. This is my issue with West Coast guys. This is where and then John Gruden's not above it. It's the you know that like that's the first time he's ever called a speed sweep. He's admitted it. He said it in a press conference yesterday. So that's right. I was like, but it doesn't surprise me. We were the last team in the NFL to go to the shotgun in 2007. We didn't run the shotgun in Tampa Bay until 2007. You know why? You know why? John Gruden. Well, no, because Bill Walsh and Joe Montana didn't in 1988. Gotcha. Right. And well, that applies. Yeah. 88, 2007. Yeah. Right. It's, Very it's similar only times. Nine, only 19 years later. It's like, that's my issue when you hear me complain about the West Coast offense sometimes. And like, Rigid. Well, this is what we do, and I need a coach in here to prove it to me. And like, what? what? Like, okay. If so. I'm going to make this into another thing that I've learned yeah, in work, right. if you're working at a place in which your bosses often use the phrase, this is how we, we've always done it, or right. this is how it's done, you need to go and work for someone else. <laughs> because that is a place like blockbuster video that won't be around in a long time. Right. Because if you're not adjusting, we have a 32-year-old head coach that is blowing the doors off and is openly admitting that he's stealing plays. Right. All of the best offensive coordinators are stealing from high school and college playbooks. And we are hiring guys still who go, this is how it's always been done. And to your point, that guy you're talking about, the 32-year-old genius who is stealing plays, the main point of his offense is what? The speed sweep and the nine million things he does off of it. And yet John Gruden called his first speed sweep in two decades of coaching in week 11. On fourth and one, the biggest play ever. Do this with your microphone. No, 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 like push the thing. Oh, yeah, it's coming off, right? Yeah. There. But but the big point of why I had you watch this game is – I think the Chargers are capable of winning the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. I also think the Chargers are capable of missing the playoffs because I find them to be very erratic. 
I often talk about how I love Philip Rivers because when a team's not that good, he can overcompensate and play really well. But sometimes I find him throwing passes that make no sense and an offense has no flow. That was one thing this week for sure. Sometimes I see Melvin Gordon getting the ball repetitively and wearing a defense out. And then I go two or three drives and I go, right. why is Austin Eckler in the game this much? Right. Nothing against Austin Eckler, yeah. but this is Melvin freaking Gordon. Sure, right. I see an offensive line that can push people. But then I see an offensive line that's not asked to push. Yeah. And I see a defense that allows big plays yes. every single right. week. Right. I would not buy stock in the Chargers right now. Yeah. I think they're really good. They're a great team if you want to throw some money on them as like a super like long mm. shot. But I do not think that I would trust them. After watching the film, do you trust the Chargers? I, I trust them. I think they're a playoff team. Oh, I, I do. think they're going to make the yeah. playoffs. I mean, yes. But... No, do I trust them totally yet? No, I, I don't yet. I don't think I'm going to sit here and hang my hat on their defense to go, it's special, and if the game gets really ugly, that their defense can keep them in a game versus some of the better offenses in the AFC or football. No, I, I got to see some of that before I, I hang my hat on that. Now, offensively, too, yeah, to what you're saying is, you know, Phillip Rivers, he definitely had plays of being too greedy. I think their whole team did exactly what Atlanta did to Cleveland, except except came in thinking we got this. This is Oakland. We're good. We're 6 and 2, we're 5 and 2, whatever. Yeah. We don't really have to play our game to win this to win today. The, you know, the difference between them and Atlanta is they're a little better than Atlanta and they have a little bit better coaching on both sides of the ball that got them over the hump. And I think in my notes at one point I wrote, like, it's hard to be motivated when you're playing your B minus or C plus game and you're up 17 to three. Right. You know, it's just, it's human emotion. And yet the Raiders were still putting together drives yes. at the end of the game with Jared Cook running for 40 yards where I'm like, if the Raiders, like they, they went for it on fourth down inside the 20, they didn't convert. I'm like, if the Raiders score touchdowns here, the Chargers can lose this game. Different game, no doubt. You say in your notes yeah. that the Chargers are one of the few teams in the NFL that goes for broke almost too much. Yes. They're looking to go deep on every single play right. and they don't have enough short passing game. And that's why I feel like I watch the Chargers and they're constantly in third and eight. Yes. Constantly in third and nine I, I because mean, your point because right off the bat. They're was constantly right. throwing deep. Yeah. They are. It's way too aggressive, and he gets too aggressive at times. He looks for it. He where, really does. Where I just want to go, man, you know, you threw a post down the middle into double coverage, and, <laughs> you know, the under route was wide open for a guaranteed seven yards, and really, if he catches it and makes one guy miss, he's going to get 20. But he's always looking for the dagger, which is great and refreshing. But I do think, again, to survive some of the better teams in football, let's not measure them against the Raiders, like you're saying, who are one of the worst teams in football. Mm. They need to find some more easy, you know, just bullshit completions and not always depend on we got to have perfect pass protection and Phillips got to make a big throw down the field. You know, they need to steal some New England, New Orleans stuff where. Okay, it's, yeah, yeah, I threw the ball four feet right in front of me, but now it's second and four, and they don't have enough of that. On that screen, though, it is very interesting what you wrote here. You go, let's think of situational football. There's 13 minutes left in the third quarter. You're down 10 to three, yes. and you're in this game. Why are the Raiders all out blitzing? It was the perfect time to call a screen, but why are defensive coordinators, you're in the game, your defense has been playing great, why are you feeling the need to do this right now? Right. All-out blitz, and they're but on Paul their Gunther's own. Paul Gunther's trying to show that the defense, I can make big plays too. Right. They're on their own 
what is it? What was it? Thirty-four yard line. Yeah. Like what, your defense is playing good. You're hanging in there. Why give one of the most explosive offenses and most experienced quarterbacks in all of football the chance to go? Oh, they're bringing the all-out blitz. I got one-on-ones or this or that, and I'm going to hang in there and throw a 50-yarder or the screen or whatever it may be. Yeah. And again, context matters. That's like the shit that makes you lose a football game right there. Nobody's going to look at it. Everybody's going to go, oh, they threw a great screen there, and I'm going to go, no, that was one of the dumbest defensive calls of the week right there. Yeah, the Raiders need to figure it all out. Speaking of beatdowns, Saints-Bengals were about 15 minutes away from Phil. You said this before the show. Yeah. The slowest ass beating that you've ever seen. <laughs> yes. yes. I remember watching the game and the first drive for the Saints. Right. 15 plays, eight and a half minutes, Michael Thomas, side of the end zone. Right. Half the quarter is gone. More than half the quarter is gone. And the Bengals were just demoralized. demoralized. But what do you mean slowest ass beating you've ever seen? Like... Okay, there was an ass beating they put on the Buffalo Bills last year. Remember where they ran for like 300 yards? Kamara, 50-yard touchdown. Right. Ingram, 60-yard touchdown. Right. It was just one gash. Every, the, 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 it was like, it was just 15-yard, 20-yard, 60-yard, like you're saying. This was like four yards, six yards, three yards, four yards. Oh, we got him in third and six. Right. Michael Thomas, seven-yard seven gain. Exactly yeah. right. It was just execution and just... We're not going to be too cute. We're just better than you, and we're going to maul you on a play-by-play basis. And that's what they did. Are the Bengals playing with any inspired play anymore? No, they're not. Their like, defense is a, is a beat-down dog. I was going to say, like, the Raiders and Bengals are two teams I look at and go, I don't know how much more inspired these teams are to play the rest of yeah, the year. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, the, the fact that the Bengals still have a fighting chance, I mean, they're the number six team in the AFC right now, and I'm rooting for them not to be. Like, I'm, I'm I think the Titans are going to get the six. I sure hope That so. would be the team right now that I think is going to get the six. I don't mean to be anybody mean to anybody in Cincinnati. I just don't want to watch them in the playoffs. I don't Who do think you have they're... more confidence in, Titans or Ravens, to get that six? Titans, Ravens, or Colts? Mm, I would actually... Because I feel like that's the three in my mind that I think could get the six. I don't think you're right. I mean, I would probably go Titans and Colts over. I'd go Ravens right now. I really wait, wait, wait. would. I'm scared of the Ravens, too. I don't know what to say about them. So you'd say Titans or Colts? Yeah. I think the Titans are the team. I think so, too. I, I would agree with you. I think they were, they're a good, tough playoff matchup, like we saw last year in Kansas yep. City. Yep. Um, I don't really want to break this game down too much because I feel like it was blatant. Right. But... I want to have the Breeze-Mahomes conversation really quick. Oh, yeah, okay. So someone did reach out and say, you guys always talk about how Breeze got so many of his yards from dump-offs and screens, and especially in this game, it was right. an Ingram screen, a Kamara screen, all right. that stuff. But when Mahomes does the same thing, yeah. he does screens, and you guys still say he's great. Right. If you could explain why those two things are different. Okay, so first thing is... Every player needs some help and plays. And I'm Andy Reid certainly gives Patrick Mahomes some easy plays too. So just take that, you know, with a grain of salt there too. I'm not trying to say that Patrick Mahomes is just making every freaking throw in the world and doing all this and all that. Oh, he'll get like, Hunt on a screen. He'll he get gets, Hill on a right, speed sweep, right. dump off. Again, I will stand by my statement that there's only one guy I've seen in my lifetime that can go, I'm in a shit offense and I'll look awesome every week, and that's number 12 in Green Bay. There's nobody else. He doesn't get any of that crap. I mean, we're all blown away and we're like, damn. They ran the ball two weeks in a row in Green Bay. That's what we talk about. Like, and when they do run like a speed sweep with Randall Cobb, right. he loses two yards. Yeah, right, right. And I mean, if we see Aaron Jones go up the middle, we're like, oh, 
they got a run game this week. This is amazing. I, I, mean, I so. can't remember the last time watching a Packers game. I saw a motion into a bunch formation. No, they don't do anything. Again, it's West Coast bull crap like we talked about. Sorry. Back to Mahomes versus Breeze. So here it is. Both are awesome. Okay. Don't get me wrong. The first thing is is this. And I hope I explain it. I know I explained this to Josh. So try to keep me on track so I can make all the right points again. This would be the big thing. Um, uh, Mahomes, the offense is what it is what you're seeing right now because of Mahomes. The easy completions you see him get a lot of the times, like the shallow crosses to Sammy Watkins who runs in, it's because the defenses have to play defenses where they go, holy shit, we got to worry about his 60-yard laser beams down the field to Tyree Kill, and he's like one of only two or three quarterbacks in football that can make these throws. Also, they are allowed to call plays that you couldn't call for Drew Brees because of Mahomes' talent. They have plays dialed up in their offense on a more consistent basis because they go, our guy can make these throws with ease, and New Orleans is only going to do them from time to time when they really feel like, oh, we have a matchup or we have a defensive scheme next week that's that's exploited that way. So, again, I would say that Mahomes' talent is what's opening up so much for the Kansas City Chiefs. And, of course, Tyree Kill and that factor of his speed and all that. But really, at the end of the day, what's scaring defenses more than anything are Mahomes' arm and then Mahomes scrambling and then buying time, and then his arm again. So that's forcing the – he is the factor in which is forcing the defense a hand. When I talk about the Saints offense, again, saying this again, Drew Brees is awesome. Okay, everybody? He's the eighth-best quarterback of all All time time. in the history of the NFL. He's amazing, but he is not the cog, okay, that is making this offense go. He is not the number one thing. I would argue to you that the O-line – and the running back play and Sean Payton play design are what makes it special. I really couldn't go back into the game last week in a 51-14 victory and really show you one special throw other than maybe the Michael Thomas like diving in the front corner of the end zone, if you guys remember right. that play. It was great coverage. Breeze put it in the right spot. Everything else, slant over the middle, wide open. Slant over the middle by Kamara, wide open. You know, Michael Thomas before the half, four verticals running the bender in between, wide open. Mark Ingram, you know, screen pass, trots into the end zone untouched for 40 yards. All those things. So that is the difference. They both get cheap completions. They're both awesome. But I'm just saying that the the – Dic- the the how the offense is dictated in Kansas City is truly through Mahomes and to give everybody a little more context to that this is the be- one of the best offenses in football for 2 years running Kansas City Alex Smith threw for 25 touchdown passes last year Mahomes is at 31 and we're in week 10 okay so that tells you the greatness of what he is bringing to the offense when people watch film of the Kansas City Chiefs, and Bill Belichick watches the Kansas City, he goes, oh my gosh, we have to stop 15. We have to make him uncomfortable. When If, if Belichick was playing New Orleans, he'd go, man, Sean Payton does a whole lot of stuff. we got to really get our, our game plan right here because he can trick us with some stuff here and there. And that's also my argument with, with a Michael Thomas. You know, I think Michael Thomas is really good. I know I said he wasn't a top 10. Maybe he is a top 10. I'm just, it's, a, it's debatable to me. And, you know, there was a few instances in this game where, you know, uh, what was his name? Hold Safety. on. 
The safety, Clayton Fajettleman. Fajettleman. I don't know. All I know is he's not good enough to know his name yet. And the Bengals thought they could put him man-to-man on Michael Thomas a few times. Okay? Now, Michael Thomas is really good. But what I'm just trying to say is the offense and the scheme get him open more times than not. I can promise you that Fajettleman, or whatever his name is, would not be man-to-man on Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham Jr. or Julio Jones. The defensive coaches looked at the game plan that week and said, we think we can get away with you covering him man-to-man a few times. And he's close. He's not like it's a great throw and Thomas is big and he makes the catch, but he doesn't like burn him, blow him away. But then there's you know Odell Beckham Jr. who's uh, running against Akilo Witherspoon in the 49ers game the other night who's like a 4-3 guy or a low 4-4 guy, and they're going, and he's just blowing by that guy wide open. So again, I know I sound like I'm a hater on the Saints. I'm not. I'm just trying to give everybody the what their offense is all about. One more time. Did I explain that okay? You explained it perfect. Okay. Drew Brees is awesome. The eighth best quarterback in the history of football. In the history of the NFL. Exactly right. And they're gonna they're the lead they're the lead leaders to win the Super Bowl. And I picked them to win the Super Bowl and it's probably the third best trio in all of sport of the sport right now, right? I think we'd give the trio to the Kansas City and the Rams as one and two as far as quarterback, yep. the running back, and the receiver. And I would go the Saints are number three. But that doesn't mean all three are top five at their position. That's all I'm saying. Uh, one question I have Woo, before that we was move work. on to Le'Veon Bell. Teron Armstead's out three to four weeks with a pec injury. Mm. How big of a deal is that for the Saints? Not huge. Um, Why? Because Jermon, Jer, Jer, Jerome, Jermon Bushrod? He does a good job. He's solid. How often is he playing for the he, Saints? He's been in here and there throughout the throughout the season. When little mix and match places, when Pete was out, he okay. got in the lineup. So they'll be okay. Okay. Yeah, he's, a, right, he's good. a good player. All right. Le'Veon Bell officially didn't report, which yeah. means he's sitting out for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to watch Simpson Left Go the Show, go to YouTube. We talked a little bit about it also online, mainly saying we love the fact that he sat out 10. You wish that he played the last part. Yeah. Main reasons are, look at all the guys that play in the playoffs in the Super Bowl and raise their value. Yeah. Look at Vinnie Curry and Bo Allen last year for the Eagles. Look at Trey Burton. They can go on, and if you perform big, you get to move on. I have, though, my landing spots for Le'Veon Bell. And I'm going to run them by Sims, and I want you to know, I want to know your opinion on them, your take, and if you think I'm right. Okay, cool. I have it down to a top six. Okay. I have two teams that I think make a lot of sense, but I don't know if they have enough money for him. Okay. My number six team. The Baltimore Ravens sure do not have a running game. Still looking for running backs. They only have thirty-five million dollars in cap space right now. But Lamar Jackson and Le'Veon Bell would be a hell of a combination, and he gets to play the Steelers twice every year. Right. And after what he's going through right now, right. there's some motivation. My number five, yeah, the Miami Dolphins. Right. Twenty million dollars in cap space. Two benefits. One, we know he loves Miami. Two. No state tax in Miami. We know how much he loves money. My problem there is, what are the Dolphins? Does Le'Veon really want to go there? And I don't think they have enough money to make it happen. My number four team, the team that I think a lot of people have is their number one. I I just did number five. Oh, you're going back way. Holy moly. Numbers are tough for my man Sims. Number four, a team that is definitely the favorite. 
the New York Jets. Sure. The New York Jets, $106 million. Le'Veon wants to be more known. You come to the Jets. My problem there is, though, the offensive line doesn't look right. It's an organization that can they really invest that much money in Le'Veon Bell? They have a lot of other holes to fix with contracts like Tremaine Johnson all over the field. That's the best one yet, I think. Out of your first three that you've said, I look at that one going, that would be the leader of the first three. Keep going. Number three. Right. The Jets are the betting favorites, by the way. Yes. Oh. Number three, the Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. $123 million in cap space, most in the NFL. If you're Le'Veon Bell, you're going, man, I get to play indoors eight times. I got Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton to stretch the field. Right. I have an incredible, incredible offensive line right. that's all like under the age of 26, only not there. They got to be looking at Marlon Mack and going, we got some good pieces yeah, right, right now. Yeah, right, right. Only thing, though, is Marlon Mack plays, then he doesn't play, yeah. then he plays. Right. But Chris Ballard, will he take a risk on a guy like Le'Veon? I'd love to see him in Indianapolis. I think it would be great. Frank Reich knows how to use that position, too. But what's more <laughs> likely out of you, the Jets or the Colts? That's my four and my three, surprisingly. If, I, if it were two. me right now, out of those, if I were Le'Veon Bell, I would go, I'm going to the Colts. Okay. Yeah. Of those two GMs, who's most likely to pay top dollar for him? Probably McCagnan. For the Jets. Yes. Okay. My number two, $42 million, the Green Bay Packers. Mm. Aaron Rodgers, Le'Veon Bell. My new favorite team. I think this would be, I think this is maybe just me rooting for something. I don't think this is crazy. But I also think that he's played for the Steelers, he goes for the Packers, and I think the Packers are going, we need to give him a weapon. Right. We can kind of get two positions for one here since we're kind of cheap. And Le'Veon goes, I play for the Packers and the yeah, Steelers? Right. It's historic. And Gutenkust. I think you're right, I Brian Gutenkust. Right. Uh, he has publicly stated that they're going to be more players in free agency, so that wouldn't be crazy. My number one team. Number one. Let me see. I wonder who you're going to go with. I'm going to give you three seconds. I'm just going to go. It's either the Eagles or the Raiders. It's neither of them. Ooh. My number one team. It's a state in which, again, no state tax. It's a team, again, that's got weapons all over the field. And you might like Lamar Miller, but you're not going to like him as much as Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson, Le'Veon Bell, DeAndre Hopkins, Demarius Thomas. I think And Le- Lamar Miller. And Lamar Miller. <laughs> I think Le'Veon Bell on the Houston Texans is the ultimate dynamic situation for him. And again, he saves money. It's in Houston. I don't know. I love them the most. They're the team that gets me the most excited. I, I mean, I hear you loving them the most. I yeah. I mean, again, you I think it sounds like you think the Jets are the most likely to sign. Him. I I do feel like the Jets are looking for that type of player. Help out their young quarterback. Exactly right. Big name splash. Exactly. It's good for the organization. Man, Look Le'Veon, what we got. And, Le'Veon and Saquon in the same city. And you know, I'll say this too. You know, of course, which one would get you the most excited of the ones I named? Oh, I mean, it's between Houston and Green Bay for me, or the Colts. I, all three of those are my really favorite. Those are my I think he could be really successful. It'll make their teams better. It'll be fun to watch. Um, and you know, to the Le'Veon thing too, I'll say this: I, of course, I want him to play. I wanted to watch him, and and maybe I'm wrong about the value. What are you saying? What, oh, no, no, no. Oh. I, what, maybe I'm wrong about the value thing I said yesterday, though, about increasing your value. I mean, I, he could increase his value if he played. But I also would say that's a lot of risk to increase that value. And, I'm okay with him not playing. Yeah, I get it. I, me too. And I guess the other thing I would look at it and go, 
I, I got to think that he already knows somebody's going to pay him close to what he you wants. I think so. I do. I mean, that's the way agents work. That's what agents do. Agents I mean, my, have all the inventory, so the so they got all the the grocery goods, and the supermarket calls them to go, "Hey, you got the goods? Uh, we'd like to talk to you because we need those goods. We need some cereal. We're a little low in uh, aisle number four where the cereal is, and that's what they have. And I would think part of the decision of him finally going, I'm not playing, was the fact that there's a team out there that's going, you're number one on our radar. Is that allowed? For teams no, to be... no. I mean, it's not. But there's nothing you can do to stop yeah. it. It goes on all the time in every industry. Oh, I know. Yeah, no. In it's every not allowed. industry, you say, "Hey, we're not going to fill this hole right. for eight months, and then I want you to be my latex the, salesman." Right. The GM talks to an agent about somebody else that is on his team, and then you know the GM goes, "Hey, what we're is about, talking? What's, what's going on with Le'Veon here?" And they, oh, yeah, we got our eye on Le'Veon. All right, eighteen million. Perfect. How much money? Okay. Oh, he right. turned down that. That's what oh, he wants. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that sounds 19. good. Right. I would think that he already has a good inkling of where he's going to go. Mm. I would think so. Where would Chris Sims bet Le'Veon goes next year if put on the spot on a random Wednesday podcast in the middle of November, Chris? Indianapolis Colts. Put it on Twitter. <sighs> Andrew Luck, Le'Veon Bell, with Marlon Mack and Nihie Hines behind him. And Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson and that young offensive line with T.Y. Hilton stretching it with a double tight end set with Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron. They still will have a ton of money to go out and get another number two wide receiver. Are the Colts your Super Bowl pick for next season? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> No, not yet. But yeah, I think that would be amazing. amazing. I think the big question would be how do they value Marlon Mack and are they willing to spend that money for that position? Which, you know, some GMs are just like, I refuse to. There's other guys out there that are awesome, that are Kareem Hunts. I should look up Chris Ballard's history of paying for running backs because I have a feeling that he'd rather go find them. Probably, yes. I mean, it certainly seems that way in Kansas City. I just know that... With a Frank Reich offense that loves to have heavy sets on there, if if your offense is Andrew Luck under center yeah. with the offensive line, that's six. Double tight ends, Doyle and Ebron, that's now eight. T.Y. Hilton out wide, that's now nine. If you have Le'Veon and maybe one one other wide receiver or a fullback, God forbid. Yeah. I mean, you could do so many things I with know. the offense. I know. It's a, ma- it's a matchup nightmare. I, yeah. I, I really would love to see that. I guess if you made me bet money about yeah, where yeah. he'd go, though. and you he think just, it's the Jets? Yeah, I do. I think the New York thing, and I think the Jets, they're going to fire Todd Bowles, and this will be a good look for the front office. They wanted to get Khalil Mack. Okay, here's another big name we've added to the fold. We're going to help out our rookie quarterback. Let us call Big Philium, Big Phil Sims. Uh, man, I saw him on television on Monday night battling the Niners. Uh, that was Phil- a great game. 1986, late November, they were down 17 nothing in the first half to Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. They came out, whooped that ass. You think Phil half. knows how viral he went on Sunday with his Trubisky thing? I want you to ask him. Mr. Will you say hello? I am Mr. Internet these days. Could this really be you two calling me on time? Yeah, hey, we're pretty close. Yeah, Phil, you you know, you're you're growing up, you're becoming responsible citizens of the world, you're paying taxes, and you're living up to your word on time. It's, it's an important thing, keeping your schedules. Phil, as we get older and become responsible adults, look at you, the internet savant, going viral. Ain't that right, Josh? Phil, do you know how viral you went on Sunday for your Trubisky uh, video? No, I did not know. Oh, you went big. Explain it to him, Josh. 
So, Phil, you uh, you talked with Adam Shine about Mitchell Trubisky on Sunday, and I right. think you said that you were expecting the Bears to go 16-0 and this year, so you're not all that impressed with Trubisky. <laughs> uh, CBS Sports put that video out. We retweeted the video, and all of a sudden, we've got hundreds of thousands of people watching you talk about Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, I know. I love it. You know, everybody, what, what do they want from him? I did, you know, I think I said to the Bear fans, what do you want? 16-0. and You've been dying for a quarter. Yeah, I just I always say that about. It. Yeah, I just thought they would be undefeated because that's what I thought. Yeah, you know, some my sarcasm is that's what I love about that part of the show. Christopher knows that. That's why I like. I get five minutes just to what's the word for it? Uh, Tee off. <laughs> just to things that bother me that I hear all the time and just go oh overreaction. Uh, one game defines your career, all that other stuff. It, oh, it drives me crazy. But it does. It does. You know what the, the one thing, too, that I, I think people miss in that conversation? I mean, he's, getting, he's getting compared to Watson and Mahomes. I think that's adding to the heat. I don't know if you feel that way. You know what? I hear you, son, and I saw you, I think, talk about it this morning on TV. Yeah, right. But – I don't know if it's that as much as it's just there's a group of people that have a narrative against him or whatever. And I don't want to say against him, but I just keep going, what, what do we want? I, mean, I have a theory. It? What else do you want to see? He's not mobile. He's really mobile. Right. Yes. One thing, when I remember him coming out, I thought he did a really good job at North Carolina, like, you know, all these things. He could look and find the next receiver. And then I said, Man, he he can really move and run, and uh, I think potentially he has a very strong arm. I mean, he throws a lot of footballs that are not perfect spirals that still cut through the wind and the weather and fly 45 yards down the field like it's nothing. So the one thing about NFL quarterbacks, and I see very, very few in their career, and you guys, you tell me if you – that don't get better as they go along throwing it because they learn to – what handle it, how to do it, because they know accuracy is the thing, to, of course, a huge thing to be successful, but they get more accurate with the football as time goes along. So if, if he really learns to control the ball a little bit more, then, man, look out. I think he can be really good. Just case in point, I thought when Kirk Cousins came out, I go, you know, I'm not sure about his, just his ability to make those throws that we say to side game-winning plays. And here we are, how many ever years later, and I'm going, man, Kirk Cousins, he will throw that damn ball into tightest windows. He's like, he thinks he's Brett Favre all the time. Right. And, and he gets it in there. And he makes great throws, really, truly, great throws almost every single week. But what's going to happen? When they don't win the Super Bowl, well, you know, last year they did better with Case Keenum, and uh, somebody will bring up his quarterback rating or something stupid like that and, um, you know, go against it. Because why? Because they're haters. Yeah. That, haters. That, brother? haters. That, is, that is it for that, sure. It's haters. They can, nobody can ever admit they're wrong about something. I mean, hell, there's people on TV. Well, you know, Tim Tebow beat the Steelers in a playoff game. All right, the Steelers were missing like 14 defensive players. Right, right. And, you know, whatever. Let's don't, get any, let's don't let any facts ever get in the way. And it's great. Tim Tebow did wonderful for what he did. And, and I understand all that. But let's, let's go to think that it was going to be a week-in and week-out successful um, game or career that way no it doesn't work that way no it doesn't what else do you want to spout off about big guy i, well, I don't know i'm 
I have an awkward question. I'm already out of energy there. I want to hear from my man, Adam. What is is his thing? What are you um, griping about? Well, I actually have a question for you, and it's a little bit awkward, but I don't think there's anyone better to ask about the Giants than you. My question for you is the perfect – if you were running the Giants right now, I think I'm going to put – you don't have to say this. I'm going to say this. Let's say this is the last year of Eli. Is option one – Signing a guy like Teddy Bridgewater. Option two is getting a guy in the draft. How would you navigate this right now? Because the pieces around that position are great, and it's going to be a little bit awkward just because it's uh, it's Eli and he's going to be in the ring of honor and all that. How do you navigate this right now? Well, you know, listen, there, there's a lot to that, and I, I don't know where to go. I'll say this. You know, the Giants are going to win a few more games this year. And, and, and look, look, when you see Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham Jr., I don't know. I'd design a game plan, and then and, and, uh, they would be first in everything. And the rest of you guys, if it comes your way, good luck, man. Right, right. Because we're getting the ball to these two. And I would, be, I would put time and effort and have a lot of heads in there trying to be creative in ways to get the football in their hands. And uh, so they won a few games and do whatever. I'm not sure this will be Eli's last year. Really? No, I'm not. I'm not. Just but and this is it's a change for me, just because the team is going to get better as a year. I think the rest of this year they'll play better. They finally got some things straightened out. The offensive line. I know it's San Francisco, but San Francisco's defensive front. Yeah. You know they're not a bunch of wallflowers up no, there. No, they're not. Right. Okay, so you got that, and the draft, the quarterback draft, is falling apart, and it really is. I mean, it's it's. Some of these guys, we're just wondering where they're going to go and, and, and how high. If the Giants are, oh, we're going to change quarterbacks and go draft one, well, okay. Are you going to get the first pick or you going to the, move up? What, what's going to happen? They, to you they, to have, they have one good thing going for them as far as that conversation is concerned. And what's that? That all the teams that potentially can be in front of them have franchise quarterbacks already, right? Run Where it down. You go through like Buffalo, they got it. The Jets, they got it. The Raiders, I mean, we know Gruden's psycho in a good way. He might do something crazy. I don't know, but they got Derek Carr. The 49ers got it. The Cardinals got it. The Detroit Lions got it. Right. So I guess they that, might be the only ones going. They might for be a the only one that really needs a quarterback, unless a Jacksonville continues to fall apart. Or trades up. Or something like or maybe even a Tampa Bay if they continue to fall apart. That's right. something to worry about. Yeah, that's right. Well they're, they're, it's so far down the road yeah. I don't want to go there, but I still right. think it'll be hard to say, Oh, we want this guy and then go get him. Yes. Because there's gonna be more than one team that's willing to go get him. Right. And all these teams you talk about uh, you know, it's just there's just no guarantee that all these teams look at their guy and go, "We got the guy." You know, they, it's you always things should just can change. We're who knows better than you guys. We got how many weeks left in the season? Seven. Right. Yep. Okay. Well, that's two. It's two seasons. Yeah. So <laughs> many things are going to change, and if if the Giants did decide to make a change, I would think it will definitely be go find a veteran that can come in and be successful right right away. Now, who will that be? They're Teddy Bridgewater. Now, I didn't know Teddy Bridgewater was going to be completely free when this year's over. I thought New Orleans tried to sign him to a deal right. to kind of keep him there uh, when this year is over. 
I mean, so, right now, I'm just looking at early free agents, and it's like Tyrod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater, and Brett Hundley and like, Trevor Simeon. It's you, like you got to think of guys like Joe Flacco who could be available. Mm. You also got to think gonna, they're not going to bring Joe Flacco in. The only one is if, if the Denver Broncos did fall completely apart. You know, you think about that. Okay, I don't know. Keenum Keenum Keenum. Again. Is that a one-year deal? Basically, oh, he signed. He play with Pat I think Sherman. it's like a two-year deal. Really, it was, it was two years, I, yeah. thirty-two. Right. Well, you know, he would be a guy that they would still there, there could be something worked out there. Pat Sherman yeah. knows him. I know he liked him. Right. You know, and in fact, I'm just this just rumors, but Pat Shermer could never get over why they didn't like him in Minnesota. Yeah, you know, of like, course. Hey, all we're doing is winning games. He's putting up big numbers and making big plays, but we don't like him. He's not a franchise guy. Yeah, right. he doesn't have the look, and we can't sell him. And this and what? Well, I don't know if that's it. But all right, two things, two things. Right, one, I want to just to point out the Giants' schedule down the stretch. They got the Bucks this week, so they certainly can win that. But here, are the rest of it, just so you know this. Yeah. Eagles, Bears, Redskins, Titans, Colts, Cowboys. So that it will be interesting. I mean, there, there's certainly no gimmies there. Maybe no gimmies, but you know, it's not like they have. It's. Not like they're playing the Chiefs, the Rams, and the Patriots, and teams that I know yes. that they're not going to beat in, right. in this type of situation. So the Eagles, okay, you tell me now. Yeah, I know. You're right. Uh, okay, there yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but now the Redskins, tell me. Um, Their um, defense is really good, Phil. It, it's good. It, I don't. It, it's good. It's really, you know, they play Especially with great passion. Uh, Greg Minuski, he's crazy, so that's awesome. And they kind of play with – Greg Minuski's um, uh, personality, and I've been around him a lot over the years, and, and I've told Christopher some of these stories. He's crazy. I mean, he was a crazy player, and he's a good coach, never yep. gets the credit he deserves, and him and Jay Gruden together, they make a perfect match. They do. Okay. All right. We're gonna, two more things. This one, I'm putting you on the spot, but I already know you've already talked about it. Who's going to win the Rams-Chiefs game this week? I picked the Chiefs, um, of course, now that the game is in L.A. That does change me a little. And listen, that is a game you could sit there and go point for point against each other. And each the other guy would go, good point. Oh, right. that's another good point. Right. And it just kind of comes down to, um, I think this, what defense. And I know Aaron Donald's on the Rams, but still, I'm not sure the Chiefs' defense isn't more suited to stop L.A. than the other way around. I yeah. don't know. I don't have yeah. a great feel for that. What makes you say that? Because Kansas City will do, like I've told you, some multiple crazy stuff that's on obvious passing. It's why they have the number two third down defense in football. And the number one team in sacks in the NFL. So, they, they, yeah. Yes. And, and you know what, Adam, I'd say it just because they go all out. And I don't mean, when I say go out, all out. They just play like, we don't care. Go ahead and score the damn touchdown Mm. because we're not going to let you control the game or slow the game down or do whatever. And it goes to this theory, not a theory, which I really believe deeply in, that your defense has to match your offense. And the Rams don't don't do that? But don't break defense when we got an offense that can score in three plays. Let's get our offense those 12 possessions or whatever that number is in the NFL every game, and don't let somebody go out there and just wear the clock down. So they go all out. They're going to pressure. They're going to do whatever. It's man-to-man coverage. It almost seems like every snap. (laughs) I mean, I just go, Bob Sutton, you are allowed to play zone in the NFL. I don't know if he knows that rule, but you can do that. But so that's – that just saying that – that's what I like. And also the other thing is, too, yeah. I feel like teams, and it doesn't bear out, 
but there is a kind of a rhythm to the Rams' offense. Yes. Okay, when Jared Goff is going to his right, okay, it's going to be zone, it's going to be a screen back to the left to Todd Gurley, or he's going to throw it deep down the field going to his left, somebody gotcha. across in the field. That is such an unbelievable part of what they do that um, it, so you it think seems to be some... a little harder for him of late. You and think there's some tells in their offense? I think there is. I yeah, really do. Right. But, but they got a good offensive line. There's nothing not to like. And uh, it'll be, and I'm sure the big spotlight, all that stuff, Ooh. both of these coaches, they're going to bring it all out. You know what I'm saying? We're yep. going to see some, oh, we think we got it figured out, and it'll be the opposite. So that's going to be pretty cool to watch, too. Yeah, definitely. All right, big fucker. You're the man. Well, that's it. Well, do you want to. Do you want to give us some history about like nine and one, ten and one matchups? This just kind of popped in my head because you were involved in one when you got in that fight with Ronnie Lott after the game. Remember that? Oh Such a gosh. bad player you are. So mean. Yeah, so rude. Oh, Such yeah, a jerk. No, I'm rough. But, I put fear in everybody's heart when they think they got to fight me, don't I? But what was that like <laughs> playing, playing in that buildup where you guys were both considered the two best teams in football? Yeah, people start um, going, you know, oh, it's an NFC I just championship. Know this. It was an ex- you saw many games where I would have great days throwing the ball against that 49er defense. We knew it well and all. All that, but that night, the emotions were so high that it was going to be a defensive game. I could tell almost right from the start. Going, wow, it's different. And even Joe Montana found out it was different. Right. You know, it was tough for them. They scored what one touchdown, seven we three. We got in there, and I would have kicked the field goal, but that's just me um, to make it seven six and put the, you know, put the pressure back on San Francisco's offense, but we went for it on fourth down and missed it. I tried to throw one of those fired over the corner corner's head before he turns around. I forgot who the corner was, right. but man, I think he played against us too much, and he turned and caught, saw the ball and knocked it down before it got to Lionel Manuel. But right. the buildup was whatever it is, but I just know the intensity and the emotion, which how many times a year do you think you get that from a football team? What would you say, Adam? How many times can you emotionally be at the level that you are going to just play almost outside or above your capabilities? I would probably, my guess would be like a quarter. So like four of the 16 games. I, that, that would be max. I would say four is max. We, I kind of talked about this yesterday on Showtime a little, that four is the number. If oh, you can nice. get four. I usually say maybe three. Right. Well, the, we'll see that this week. Where did we see it this past weekend? Very evident. There was one game, and Christopher, you should know this right off the top of your head real quick, where the team emotionally was at a level that I don't know if they can match the rest of the year, except maybe for the playoffs. Let them pull up the team. The Tennessee so. Titans? Tennessee Titans. Gotcha. I mean, man, they were playing, right. they were playing outside their bodies. Right. Cleveland Browns? <laughs> Cleveland Browns, yes. You know, they, they had great emotion and all that. So that, that'll be... You know that'll be interesting to see, but that'll but this game will be um, fast paced and crazy at first, just because of the emotions involved and everybody thinking what it's going to turn out to be. There was one other question I wanted to ask you guys, I just forgot. Well, yeah. Phil, I'll leave you with this: me gloating about being accurate. Oh, I, I know s- what I want to ask. Hold on, Adam. Before we go, okay. before I forget this, because I I'm, I'm watching Jacksonville's offense, so I, I'm deep into it right now. Right. Um, Dump offs and screens, Phil. Dump offs and screens. Well, I'm, I'm, I always keep columns of check downs, screens, and scrambles. I keep I do that, but 
Now, when you say I went viral, it, it, it did it. It went the right way, right? I was. Yeah, you, know, yeah. Don't, you don't have to go to the doctor. And you can thank Bleacher Report for it too, because we really made sure it went viral. Oh, did you? Okay. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. About time you paid me something. <laughs> I mean, this you know working for free crap has got to end. You know. <laughs> Sorry, big fucker. That's all, right. all we got. No, Adam, what was your question real quick? Wasn't a question. I was going to gloat. Two weeks ago, I said that every team in the NFL that's on the Cleveland Browns schedule should hire Hugh Jackson for a week, like we do with <laughs> players, where the week that you're playing the Cleveland Browns, you hire Hugh Jackson, and he tells you everything you need to know, and then you fire him, and he goes to the next place. And what do you know? The Cincinnati Bengals, the week they're going to play the Browns, Hired Hugh Jackson. Oh my gosh! There are so many things the, I can. The say Cincinnati to that. Bengals are playing the Ravens this week, by the way. Two too, weeks. So, but two, two weeks. weeks they needed two yeah, weeks yeah. to prepare. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's so many things I can say to that, and every one of them will get me in trouble. So I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. All right. I, what okay. you're going to say is hiring Hugh Jackson might be a negative more than a positive. No, I didn't say something. nothing. Don't. I know you didn't. You, I said it for you. Don't try to get inside my head, brother. Okay. I'm already there. See you, All man. Right. You See guys you, have a great day. You too, Dad. See you. Yeah, special assistant to the head coach, Hugh Jackson. <laughs> it's a great title. Yeah, oh uh, my gosh. I, everyone's just making Dwight Schrute jokes the entire time. All right, let's get to this fan question uh, from our super fan, Matthew Waxman. What's up, Matthew Waxman? Sims and Lefko. Is he singing? Are you singing there? Sims and Lefko. Strongest arm at their peak. Ooh. Phil Sims. Mm. I'm going to ask you this. Hold on. You, you you looked at me and you said, I think you threw like 47 yards, I think you said. <laughs> Phil Sims at his peak. Yeah. What's the furthest he could throw it, do you think? Well, damn. I saw big fucker in 1993 quarterback challenge throw it 68 in the rain in Hawaii. Now, you did, we should have just asked him that. I know, I know. But I, I'm, I would guess you he was around like 71 or two. Chris I don't Sims. think he could throw it as far as me. Chris Sims at his peak. I think 76 or 7. I'm not saying I could throw it harder than him, though. That's a different thing a little bit. Matt Sims. Mm, furthest. I don't, it's funny. I think Matt could probably throw it the least farthest out of me and Dad. Okay. But I think he could throw it the hardest. So the question really was strongest arm at their peak, right. Chris, Matt, Phil. N- Matt. Really? Yeah, Matt So not wins. the furthest. He might not have the long toss, right. but the strongest from Anything from 10 to 50, and you want piss missiles, Matt's your guy. Matt really? can throw it, like you've heard me say, and I know Beverly. Matt's not playing in the NFL because he's my brother, and he's Phil Simpson's son. I don't know another way to say it. Because Nobody, they think if they hire him, we're in the guys, media. We're going to be critical. We're going to know what goes on behind the closed doors. These are weird people in the NFL. Meanwhile, you two out there. refuse to talk about him because you just you're trying to separate. Well, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous that he never got a chance. Really, he had all these great preseasons, and um, the number anybody one, that ever sees him in a workout or throws goes, "Damn, you're one of the greatest throwers I've ever seen." And then they go, "But we're going to sign somebody else." The number one thing that happens to me yeah. happened at somebody in Lefko when I did the betting. Right. He goes, you do that show with Sims. I go, yeah. He goes, see the one that played for the Jets? Right. And I go, no. And he goes, kid should have gotten a chance. No doubt. Every Got fucked over. I was at a Jets preseason game. Right. And I'm taking a piss. And I just hear someone, like, they don't even know who I am. This right. is like a few years ago. And they're like, they really got to give that kid Matt Sims a chance. Yeah, it's just the thing. I know. It's a shame. Is Poor it hard Matt. for you to admit that your brother has a stronger arm than you? No, not at all. I don't think he's better than me. My brother had a stronger arm than me. But yeah, he Matt is a Matt is like a his 
his technique and the way he throws the ball is flawless. And you could put him on the field with Aaron Rodgers and they could throw the ball around and you'd go, damn, which one's Aaron Rodgers? I'm not saying he's better than Aaron Rodgers. I'm just saying just purely from the look of the ball, the velocity, how hard it spins, all of those things. My dad and I were more, you know, for for something we've Independent contractors? A little bit or get her done. We had great... Well, we and my dad would say we had had more hands. We had more of a hand. Like, we could flick it and throw it different ways like that. Where Matt is just a machine. It's just like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I mean, just all over the place. Where Dad and I, yeah, might not be a perfect spiral, but we threw it on the money in an awkward position because gotcha. we could just get it done that way. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So, coming up now, an interview with our main man, Stefan Diggs. Again, I would highly recommend going to the YouTube, going to Bleacher Report, the Sims and Lufko channel, and watching this bad boy. Hope you guys enjoy the interview. In the meantime, for Sims. Peace out, homies. For Fendrick. Good evening, everybody. And for the L-E-F-K-O-E. Man. We wish you adieu. See you guys later. Here's Stefan. What does that mean? Oh, baby, we got ourselves a good one. His name is Stefan Diggs, and you can tell by his T-shirt, but if you're listening on audio, I got to explain. He is here because of new Old Spice Foamer, a foaming body wash that lathers in a flash. Mm. I use washcloths, unlike Sims, and I load up on that foamer and uh, upgrade your shower experience with Old Spice Foamer available at Target. You definitely do not use a washcloth. No, it's not necessary. (laughs) Stefan Diggs, do you use a washcloth? You know I use a washcloth. Wow. Okay. Yes. I, I don't. The soap cleans you. I don't understand it. We want to talk about guys in this team that are not getting enough respect. Yeah. Stefan Diggs, you got your respect. I think it took people a little bit too long, but you got it and you got the contract. But Kirk Cousins, man, like I still feel like I see people question him, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Lights out. He's a he's a baller. If you ever watch him in game, um, he makes his adjustments. He makes his reads. He gets the ball out quick, and he has a cannon. Like you can't sleep on him throwing the ball really really far at any given time. So uh, if you're sleeping on him, it's just like you probably just don't watch football. Yeah. One, hold on, I want to ask one more thing about Cousins. I'm turning over to you for like three questions in yeah, a row. Sure you are. Cousins. cousins. Does he not like Cousins? No, I do. No, I'm, no, we I'm both constantly sticking up for him lately, especially. That's where, I mean, go ahead. I didn't. I was just going to say, do, does Kirk write his pregame speeches beforehand? <laughs> First off, I think those are off the top of the head genuine from the heart because every time he talks i'm locked in like i just i just stare at him he's because he looks he looks like he's supposed to be doing this he should get paid for doing it i don't know you're such a johnny company man that's how you stick up to the that's how you suck up to the quarterback right there first of all first of all first of all that is my god i did it today (laughs) i think his speeches are pretty good the one before the sunday night game against the vikings i mean against the saints sounded rehearsed but Why? I don't know. But just sound that one sounded According like he wrote to it chapter down. Chapter three of Robert Smith's book <laughs> about motivation. Ours <laughs> is a little bit of hate, though. I think you're no. in the haterade in the in the water. Right no, no, definitely not. That's where I mean the thing I hate about the Kirk Cousins conversation right now, and I want you to like, why is it do you think people disrespect him? Like you come out and say it was your fault on the pick six uh. in the Saints game. And people still just go, nah, it's Kurt Cousins' fault. We're going to blame him. I don't know. I think it's just because people – some people – I don't know how you don't like Kurt because if you've ever met Kurt, he's yes. a likable guy. Yes. Like, he's super nice. Like, I don't know what it is. I think it might be old Redskins fans. I'm not sure. But uh, he does a great job, like, honestly. Like, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't lie. I, w- I wouldn't be the company, man. Yes. But, uh, 
I'm telling you, he does a great job. And that pick was my fault. No, we love Kirk because we know how hard he works. We know that he lives it, he breathes it, and he yeah. has better arm talent than a lot of people. But you also think that his his comp, his partner in crime, Adam Thielen, is underrated, and for one main reason. Well, I mean, you're awesome, and we know that, okay? And that's why we're talking to you, and we're, we're always pubbing you. But Adam, oh. go ahead. You're welcome. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think Adam Thielen maybe now is just starting to get disrespected. But yeah, I do think he gets disrespected at times because he's a white wide receiver. And I'll be the first to tell you, I'm one that has to see multiple games of evidence on a white wide receiver before I buy in. But I just want to know what your reasoning is or why he doesn't quite get the respects he deserves. And it's crazy because one, Adam went to the Pro Bowl last year. You know, he racked up a thousand and something yards. But I really think it's because it's the wide receiver thing. Like, yeah. uh, people don't take him as serious and it was uh it's so crazy like two years ago we were in camp and we were in we had a joint practice with some people and you know the uh i can't i don't drop names so yeah. it was a guy who wasn't really respecting adam's game and adam went out and bought in practice you know what i'm saying and that was like when he was coming out but i really knew adam was special a long time ago and it's just crazy that i don't know what it is about why they don't why they don't this in this case right here he might he might have a pinch of uh, of other stuff in them. You know, I don't know. I don't know ah, why. Yeah. <laughs> a little cinnamon. <laughs> a little white chocolate. Drop it in, drop it in the bucket. When it comes to best wide receiver duos in the NFL, you guys are easily in the top. And your question was for Stefan, who, who are they competing with? Or just who else? Yeah. What are other duos you look at that you have like the ultimate respect for that you think are in the class of, of you and Thielen? You know, we put you on the spot. There's Deshaun and Mike Evans. There's Juju and A.B. You know, there's there's Hopkins and Demarius Thomas Julio now. and Ridley, but I don't think that Ridley's at your guys' level yet. I think I think it's just uh, when you have two guys that can play off each other. I mean, it is definitely a competition, uh, I guess, for everybody else. But, you know, for us, like, everybody just want to have success, you know, as far as, like, winning it. Everybody want to eat type of thing, but – I mean, everybody else gonna have to choose, you know. As far as like who, who you want to take on your team, I mean, I feel like we got we got some of the best guys to do it. Like as far as like Adam, I think Adam is top tier. You yeah. Know, regardless of how you on how you shake it down, I think he's one of the top receivers in the league. So. So does uh, that mean that you believe that you two are the best wide receiver doing the NFL? I wouldn't say that. I would say I do my job to the best of my ability. <laughs> he does his job the best of his, his and we kind of let it fiddle out from there. Uh, overall, you guys are killing it. Uh, this bye week, I'm sure, was great. Uh, how do you, as you get ready for the second half of the season, how does the mentality change now? Uh, it's. I think it's a credit to the adversity that we faced early, um, the good and the bad with the tie and the losses, and we learned. We learned from all of the mistakes that we had, and we grew from them. We didn't. We didn't fester. Didn't fester on us. We didn't hang our heads. We just said we just got to keep moving forward, and it showed with the success that we've had. So. Uh, getting back our pieces, you know, Dalvin Cook's back and taking back as far as like everybody getting back into flowing. Things are kind of coming together. We just kind of got to keep preparing the right way and going in the right direction if we want to win. They're going really under the radar. I mean, too. yes, extremely under the radar. Five, three, and one, kicking butt. Really kind of hurt yourself in the Saints game in a lot of ways where you were controlling the first half and then, you know, the turnover happened and all that. But we're rooting for you, man, just so, so you know. Thank you. I appreciate it. I always have a good time talking to you guys. You the I man, still, dude. I still, need, I still need my sweatshirt, though. Still have got Oh, we'll get you one. We need to get you out of something besides the Old Spice t-shirt. That's the only thing we ever see you in. <laughs> oh, and also... <laughs> Look at it. This is in our room. You th- we see have this. this in our podcast room. <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? 
It is you, the matador, on your big play on Marcus Williams. We love Marcus Williams, too. He's a good guy, man. It's a good picture, though. Peace, man. Stefan brought to us by Old Spice Foamer. Put some foam on your body, and if you're clean, use a washcloth. Stefan, you're the man.